Let's pray. Father, we long to see you show your grace. Showing your grace by saving sinners, by seeing your church full of people who see their need for your compassion, your loving grace. who lean wholly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, lived, died, and rose. We praise you for your glorious gospel, for your gracious, the gracious good news of Jesus. We pray. We lift up to you, Bob and Mary Lou Scarborough, thanking you for them that Mary Lou would be submissive to Bob in all things as she is submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ her displaying a gentle and quiet spirit fearing you Lord fearing you Father and for Bob he would live with Mary Lou in an understanding way granting her honor as one who's a fellow heir of the grace of life, a fellow heir with Him and the gospel and salvation, so that His prayers would not be hindered. Give them grace to be sympathetic, harmonious, and kind hearted to each other and those around them, we pray. We pray for another church. We lift up Mile High Fellowship in Prescott. May they build themselves, build themselves up in the faith. May they pray in the Holy Spirit. May they keep themselves in the love of God. May they wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give them grace to have mercy on each other to be going after the unsaved of Prescott's, snatching them out of the fire. And we pray for Steve, their pastor. Continue to give him health, strength in his health. He's weak. Thank you that he's doing so well. Give him wisdom. As the pastor of this church, give him grace to show grace to your people we pray for those in our government for the mayor of Cottonwood Diane Jones Doug Van Gausick in Clarkdale Charles German of Camp Verde and the surrounding area here in Verde Valley give these mayors your wisdom and all their decisions by your merciful grace to work as team players with humility and kindness not selfish not about their own agendas but to benefit the community to benefit the businesses that are here and Father we do pray that they would see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ and that a response to the gospel would take place 
on these three people. And Father, we have a heart for the world. We have a heart for the people groups of this world. And we have a heart for the people here in our own city and the surrounding areas. And so God, we pray specifically for the people of Jerome. We pray for Kenny and for Sam and Jay, for Matt and for Carrie and Pam, for Gary and Bob, Anu, Carl, Chris. We pray for Aaron. We pray for Gerard and Lynn, Christopher, for Jim, for Spring, for Ty, for Milo, for Tia, for Sam and Katrine, for Mark, Wes, and Brian, for Johnny and his son Micah, for both Scotties, for Cole. We pray for Garrett. Pray for Eric and Sid and Alex. Mitch and his son. For Ryan and for Sonia. For Kevin and Joni and their kids Mark, Kelsey and Jacob. For Leo, Denise, Nick and Nick. Nathaniel. Pray for Sarah. For Dylan. For Mark. Dave. Jazz. For Kathleen. For Jamie. For Nick and his mom Beverly. Pray for Jessica. For Jason. Thank you that you spared his life. Pray for Richard. John. Casey we pray for Adam and Barry and Duff we pray for Scott and Tom for Steve for Rallo for Sean we pray for Jimmy and Travis we pray for Lauren and Sally and Emily for Doug and Penelope. And we pray for the guy who mocks us every week, whose name we don't know. So for these people, and there's others too, we ask, Father, that you would birth a solid, genuine, true gospel shaped church in Jerome you would work in the hearts of these people that you would bring true conversion that the gospel would be clear that the gospel would penetrate their hearts because you do that and the power of the spirit the spirit penetrates the heart and convicts them that they fall so short and they deserve judgment 
And yet, Father, you are merciful to them in the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name there is salvation and forgiveness only in his name. That you would change their wills and they would see that they are desperate and they would run into the bosom of Jesus. So we're praying that you would move For us, we're here today. Give us grace. Grace to resolve conflicts we have against each other. And we praise you that we've been reconciled with you, us as sinners, with you, Father, through Jesus Christ alone. That's why we're here. The gospel. We can pray this, Father, to you by the authority of your Son. Amen. Please be seated. Where's Tyler? There you are. This seems like kind of hot. just me or is it getting feedback is it me maybe it's just me one two three four no is there feedback is it just me that's me okay you got to turn the music down in the car Jim that's probably what's going on take your Bibles please go to Acts chapter 6 Acts chapter 6 if you're visiting with us, go to that black Bible and chair in front of you. Pull that black Bible out. Go to, towards the back of that black Bible. Go to page 96. 96. You'll find Acts chapter 6. Now I'm off. That, that wasn't me. Oh, now I'm back on. Okay, just stay like this. Can I move now? Okay, okay. Ethan just told me I could. Acts chapter 6, I'm gonna, we're going to do the first seven verses. And if you notice in your bulletins, uh, there was a change a little bit. We're gonna, next we're going to do eight, verses 8 through 15. And then the 28th we'll do the whole chapter of, well, all of chapter 7 and a few verses of chapter 8. I decided to split that up because then I'm not reading so much and it's not, you're not so inundated with so much information. Chapter 7 is going to be a lot just um, because basically... Stephen just goes through the whole Old Testament. He does that superbly. But for today, the first seven verses of chapter 6, I'll read it and then we'll do our study. 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily ministry. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve or minister tables. But select from among you brethren seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The top ten qualities that make a great leader, according to Forbes magazine, December 19, 2012. Top ten qualities that make a good leader. Number ten, the ability to inspire. Number nine, intuition. Number eight, creativity. Number seven, a positive attitude. Number six, commitment. Number five, confidence. Number four, a sense of humor. Number three, communication. Number two, the ability to delegate. And the number one top quality that makes a great leader, according to Forbes magazine, honesty. Great leaders. The world's searching for great leaders. John Piper said this, quote, there's something even more powerful than a great idea, namely, a person who embodies that idea. For instance, does this sound familiar? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Saw that, like, 30 down they go. Bill Clinton. I said that. It's true. Said that. I, I, I knew it. Bill Clinton. No, no. George Bush. No. George W. Bush. No. Go back farther. John Kennedy. A great idea, by John Kennedy. But John Kennedy's ideas had power because people not only listened to the ideas, they also looked to the man great leadership yes the world needs good leaders but I think from our text I'm going to state a case before you if there's anything that the church needs it's good solid biblical leaders or I'll put it this way just do it be who you are we're called to fulfill God's mission and in this mission, there's a dire need for solid biblical leadership. There is a need, dire need for solid, good, biblical leadership. The dire need for solid biblical leadership in God's mission and for God's church. Good, solid biblical leadership is a huge need. It's not a suggestion, but a must-have. As we come to this text, we realize once again the apostolic church, it wasn't the perfect church. There are no perfect churches. Even with the apostles, 
as the leaders, it wasn't the perfect church. They, they had their set of internal problems too. Ethnic issues need to be sorted out. They had a major relational problem that was potentially destructive. But they worked it out using spiritual wisdom. And, and you see here the apostles, they exemplify great leadership toward the church, giving them the direction they needed to work this major conflict work out this major conflict in a God-honoring, Jesus-glorifying way. They were able to calm the tensions. They showed themselves as competent leaders. And they showed themselves, they exemplified, how do you deal with conflict? So, in, in showing their leadership abilities, they also showed how you deal with conflict, relational issues within the church. What caused this rift that we'll look at in a moment we can speculate, but we really don't know. But we do know there was a major relational problem, and it seems like some widows are being overlooked. But the Word of God had to be a top priority, and, and resolving this issue would confirm the work of the Word. It would also build the bridge in the book of Acts, you would see the work of those outside the twelve, particularly Stephen and Philip, who would have greater responsibility and greater utilization, which we'll see next week and the week after that. Interesting, now our passage, it, it begins and ends with unprecedented growth in the number of disciples in Jerusalem. And this growth happened solely by the unhindered ministry of the Word that was significant. And we'll see how that works into good, solid biblical leadership. But know this, the Gospel will prosper in spite of, and even because of, persecution, suffering, or conflict. When God's Word prospers though, get this, Satan will try to hinder it in any way he can. And here... Relationships in the body. He causes a rift in relationships to try to hinder the Word's growth. He wants to hinder the growth of the Word. He wants to hinder the, the, the spread of the Gospel. He wants to hinder that. So what's he going to do? Create tension inside the church. Create conflicts with, amongst the members. That's what he's going to do. And that's what you see here. He tried it with Ananias and Sapphira. That didn't work. He's going to try this. So we begin here. A problem arises. Verse 1. At this time, interesting, go back to verse 42 of chapter 5. Up from, lift your eyes up a little bit. Every day in the temple from house to house they kept right on teaching and euangelion proclaiming the gospel, Jesus is the Christ. At this time, they're speaking the gospel. And so the, the number of disciples is increasing. But then there arose a conflict. So you have two realities, one that's really awesome, one that's not so awesome. What's the really awesome thing that's happening? The growth of disciples. Interesting too. Uh, this is the first time believers are, are called disciples. Usually disciples is used as of the twelve, right? The twelve disciples. Here's the first time Luke 
equates believers of Jesus as disciples of Jesus. So many more disciples among the Hellenists and the Hebrews in Jerusalem. More disciples because of what was happening from the Word. The Word was being spoken. People were coming to Christ. Side note here. According to the book of Acts then, church growth does not happen because a church has really hit music. Or a really cool band. Hold on, let me go get my guitar. I'll do a solo here for you. Great programs. A killer VBS. Um, a happening youth ministry. No. Church growth happens when a local church daily teaches and proclaims God's word. It's a top priority. So don't get... don't lose sight of that in the midst of the problem that, that arises. Growth is happening because the, the word is being spoken, the gospel is being proclaimed, people are coming to Christ. Well, the evil one doesn't like that. So at the same time that this is happening, a management problem arose. It seemed, notice, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenists. I think your Bible says Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, it says in your Bibles, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving. It seemed that Hellenists believed their widows were being overlooked in the daily ministry. That, that word serving, you can translate it as, as ministry, which is important. We'll look at that as to why it's important to translate like that in a moment. You can translate like that, ministry. Now most likely, I think in your, in your Bibles it says the, the daily serving of food, right? probably says that food. So most likely this involved food, but not just food. It may be clothing, um, possibly monetary help as well. But the Hellenists thought they were being discriminated against. And, and, and against widows. Now, now widows, in this time period for this first century... Widows needed community care when family members could not care for them. And they could not care for them either because of neglect or, or, or poverty or poor management of the finances. Whatever the reason, in the first century, widows were vulnerable economically and, and socially. So you had this dispute coming up. And by, again, you have that in your Bibles, Hellenists, Jews, and native Hebrews. Both were Jews. Hellenists, they spoke Greek. That was their primary language. They came from different social, um, social practice as well as religious practice. You see, that with the, the Greeks, the religious practice as, as Jews, they, they very much more Greek, speaking Greek, and using the, the Septuagint. The Hebrews would, would speak Aramaic. That's what they would do. So there was a little bit of differences there. Well, now they're Christians. Now they're united in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean then? Practically, how do they respond to this? Hellenists were, it says, um, complaints arose. They were murmuring, complaining, which by the way is, is condemned in Scripture because really complaining against God's gracious you're complaining against God's gracious provision and goodness when you're complaining. 
the Hebrews, they're neglecting our widows. Well, whether this is um, neglected or whether this is really happening or not, they felt like it was. And whether this is condemned in Scripture about them complaining or not, this is a potentially major divisive problem in the church. Did all resentments rear their ugly heads? Was there prejudice or, or racial discrimination that was taking place? I mean, you could even think that maybe they're, you know, it's because you guys think you're better than us because you're Aramaic and you speak Aramaic and you don't speak Greek like us. Maybe they were accusing them of that. Maybe that was truly happening. Notice there was conflict taking place. Uh, one writer says this, quote, Christians in every age and social context need to be aware of the threat that cultural and racial differences can pose to their unity in Christ. I mean, put it this way. Um, you have Palestinian Christians think that their widows are, are being overlooked versus the Israeli widows. I can put it in today's context, right? Or, or um, Israelis versus Arabs. I mean, then, then there's tension, right? And you're, you're looking at potential church splits here. I mean, this is a serious thing. So here you have a relationship conflict and this, this problem surfaced not just because of ethnic tensions but, but there's a lack of administrative organization. There's, there's fast growth within the diverse ethnicities in God's new community. So friends, what we got here is a failure to communicate. Administration broke down. Relationships are being challenged. I mean, think about it. How, how did God's new community, how did they measure their compassion and love for each other? By how they cared for the believing orphan. By the, how they cared for the believing poor. How they cared for the believing widows. Love in the church, within the church, it displays the gospel. So, this could have been a major catastrophe in God's church. And it could have been a huge blow to those who are not Christians, right? They would see that, wait a second, you guys are, you guys are not for real because there's this tension going, there's conflict. And the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, that was a big deal. Now it seems that Satan was using another scheme, a relational conflict. Look, aside from people leaving a church because those people believe their needs were not being met. Relational conflicts are the number one cause of problems in the church today, leading to church splits, church divisions. Even the needs reason that's still intertwined with relationship. Satan is going to try to bring tension to our local church by causing relational conflicts through a variety of ways. Here in our text, uh, our widows are not being cared for as much as your widows. What, what, what would we deal with? Preferences? Personality conflicts? Disagreements? 
you do things like this, I do things like that. I do it this way, or I do it that way. Now, now Luke, Luke doesn't give us details here, does he? He doesn't give us the details of, of, of anything that's going on. But, but you know, you know there were hurt feelings. That's okay. You know there were hurt feelings. There, there was probably accusations. Anger. Frustrations. Definitely a lack of communication within God's community. They needed a resolution. They needed leaders to come and lead. And to show, how, how do you deal with conflict? And how does God's word speak to something like this? How does it deal with something like this? We need resolution. Well, how do people normally deal with relational problems in a church? Let me give you one, two, three, four. Let me give you five non-biblical solutions to relational conflict in the local church. That's not up on the screen, sorry. Uh, five non-biblical solutions. This is what we can do if we want to be non-biblical in our relational conflicts in our local church. Number one, the silent solution. I'm just not going to talk to you. That's, that's one way to deal with it. The throw them out solution. Well, let's throw them out. That'll be easy to deal with, right? Or how about this? The I'm leaving solution. Well, I've had it, so I'm leaving this. We can deal that way. Number four. The talk behind your back solution or get people on your side solution. We can do it that way too. Or number five the don't do anything and it will go away solution. You can do that too. Now there's probably more ways you can deal with that in a non-biblical way, but I, I thought of those five. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. But then here, here you see, out of this conflict, biblical leadership rises up. And so what I, what I propose to you, six marks of biblical leadership in God's new community. What's good, solid, biblical leadership? What does it look like? And, and by the way, again, as, as we look at these, these are actually ways that we can actually resolve conflict in the church as well. This is how we can deal with it. So you, you see it exemplified by the leaders and then actually how to deal with it themselves. It's kind of interesting. You see that overlapping here. So six marks of biblical leadership. Good, solid biblical leadership. Number one, leaders communicate. Leaders communicate. Verse 2. The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. The apostles showed tremendous leadership by first bringing up the solution and deciding to talk about it instead of ignoring it. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. No. When problems arise, you need to talk about it and discuss it. Plus, it's beneficial, if you are having a conflict with someone else, it's beneficial to involve leadership. Notice how they stepped in. Don't just blow off leadership. Utilize leadership to give you wisdom in your situation. Communication was key. They didn't ignore the problem. Instead, they would propose something that would provide the care needed, but, but, but really, it would, it would preserve the relationship. And this was important. Or I should say, this is important. 
not just for the early church of the first century, but for churches today, especially this church. We must work hard to preserve our relationship with each other. It's hard work. What's that book, um, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making? Is that what that is? That book by CCEF? It's hard to do. It's, it's not easy. But we must work hard to preserve our relationship with each other. And, and good leadership will foster good relationships within the body. They will. So number one, leaders communicate. Number two, biblical leaders prioritize. Biblical leaders prioritize. Verse two, and then verse four. The disciples, the twelve, they said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to minister tables. That word desirable means pleasing. It's not pleasing to neglect God's word. Now, they're not saying, well, it's going to be sin if we do that. They're not saying that. It's an issue of what's vitally important. Interesting, in our text today, the word is given, is spoken of three different times. The word, the word, the word. That's the importance, how, how vital the word is. Versus ministering tables. And I, I do that on purpose because ministering, that's the same word that's used in verse 1 in the daily ministry, and then that word is also used in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. To them, dealing with the situation of food or taking care of widows, that's ministry, but they realize the priority should be the ministry of the word. They knew the Lord Jesus Christ wanted them to prioritize the word. There is the ministry of taking care of the needs of others. That's ministry. That's true. It's the same word that's used in verse 4, the same word used in verse 1, the same word used here in verse 2. Ministry. It's the same word. But good leaders, good biblical leaders, understand they must prioritize it. God wants us, yes, that's important, but God wants us to prioritize the word of God and prayer. Leaders in the church need to understand that their biggest priority in God's church is to feed God's people God's word. Church members need to realize that leaders need to devote themselves to the word of God in prayer. It's vital. What God has called his leaders to do is to teach and witness, to teach and proclaim. They should not do everything in the church, nor can they. Don't neglect to proclaim God's word to people, God's people and, and everybody. Good leaders will instigate communication and they'll remember what their priority should be, God's word. And solid members will not add things to the leadership that the leadership doesn't need to be doing. Instead, members will deal with those issues. They'll deal with those problems. I notice, drop up down to verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Devote ourselves. The word actually could also mean adhere to, persist in, attach ourselves to, hold fast to, continue in. 
It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it says, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, um, to prayer, to breaking of fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer. Acts 2, 42. It's the same word used there. We will attach ourselves. We will persist in. We will adhere to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. This is how God's leaders lead His church. They teach God's Word. And they seek God's will. Members should sanction that. Members should approve of that. Prayer is important because it displays dependence on the Lord. Uh, To give boldness to speak God's Word. uh, To protect His people while they speak. And for God to give opportunities for the Word to be spoken. Prayer, the ministry of the word. This is what good leaders, they prioritize. They communicate, but they also prioritize. The church today has allowed her leaders to get involved in all sorts of things while her leaders are neglecting the study and teaching of God's word and dependence upon the Lord. And you know what? Leaders have bought into this mentality. The blame is not all on the members. Sometimes, honestly, I'm shocked at some of the pastors that I speak with and how little of a time that they've spent studying the scriptures. I'm shocked. At, at they're, they're talking. Yeah, I got to my study. I did a, a couple hours study or something like that. I, I almost, my mouth is like hanging down on the floor. Are you kidding me? But it, it's, it's not important to them. They've bought into this mentality. Leaders are involved in church building projects. They're involved in administrative details and the minute aspects for the Sunday service, etc., etc., etc. Instead of doing what's most important, praying and ministry of the Word. It's one of the marks of a good leadership, biblical leadership. They communicate, they prioritize. Number three, biblical leaders, they recognize. Recognize what? The needs of others. Verse 3, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation. Select men. They did not believe this was nonsense. Oh, just get over it. You guys are just having a cow. Relax. Nobody's getting overlooked here. You guys are just, I don't know, you guys are cranky. Why could you speak Greek? That's why. You Greeks. Oh, I didn't do that. They thought it was important. They recognized its importance. It was ministry. People were feeling left out and neglected. Now, whether it was actually true or not, they, they didn't care about that. Good leaders care for others and recognize others' problems. They're true. They're genuine. And they take it seriously. And they also recognize that they don't have all the answers or that they are the ones who have to do it all. They recognize that. Which will lead to a later point. We'll look at that in just a second. But, but here you see the apostles. And the apostles, these are the, the big kahunas, right? These are the, the guys of the guys. They walked with Jesus. I mean, Peter's shadow will heal you. Oh man, he just healed my ankle. Awesome, thanks Peter. I didn't realize, you know, something like that. I don't know. That's what he's doing. But yet here they're admitting 
and humbling themselves, we don't have all the answers. Leaders are called to preach and teach the Lord Jesus Christ and God's kingdom. In a ministry of caring for the needy, that's important too. And they recognize that. And so this means leaders must be willing to adjust, alter, develop all for the sake of ongoing teaching, the ongoing teaching of God's Word. They adjust procedures, they alter structure, they develop new posts of different responsibilities. The apostles, they knew they could not fulfill their primary task effectively if they took on this important responsibility themselves. We'll look at more of this later. So leaders, what do they do? They communicate, they prioritize, they recognize. Number four, leaders exemplify. And actually here what happens is the apostles say, these are the type of guys you should be looking for. Now moves out from the apostles to these men that they're going to choose. What did, would these men, or should these men, what should they exemplify? Integrity, godliness, and wisdom. Seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. A good reputation, and they're spiritual. In other words, spiritual men and men of integrity are full of the spirits and wisdom. Uh, their lives were directed by God's Spirit, making good judgments. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. They're caring, they're gracious. Wisdom was a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of these men. In the lives of these men, this is what it shows. And it's not simply just a knowledge of the Bible, but wisdom. So there's ethical, spiritual, and practical things in this man's life. Character of the Spirit is wise. Biblical leaders are good examples whose lives are directed by God's Spirit, not their emotions. And who make good judgments. Men who are spiritually mature, they're caring, they're gracious, they're loving. And they delegate. Good, solid biblical leaders, they communicate, they recognize, they prioritize, recognize, they exemplify, and then they delegate. Whom we may put in charge of this task. Biblical leaders delegate. It's interesting that here you see that the apostles, they weren't afraid of sharing their leadership. They weren't afraid of that. They weren't afraid that someone else can do this important ministry. So choose these seven men to deal with this problem. By the way, normally we say these are the first deacons. Mm, kind of. Um, it's not the official office of deacon here. But this does say what deacons will end up doing. These men, they help the members of the church by caring for the needs of the body so that unity in the church can be maintained and even enhanced. 
So you want to know what deacons are all about? This is a deacon. They help, they care, and they endorse unity in God's church. That's a deacon. Again, this is not, these are not the official deacons, first official deacon. That's not what this is all about. But you end up seeing how this principle of deacons, it's going to come up later. And this is the type of deacons, this is the ministry, this is what they would do. The apostles realized they needed help. They were helpless, so they delegated. They couldn't do everything. So good leaders know how to delegate. Notice verse 5. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They all approve this. Where it says approve of this, it's the same word that's used here in, in verse, uh, verse 2. is not desirable for us. It's the same word. It's not pleasing to us for, for us to neglect the word. And here in verse 5 it says, it was pleasing to the multitude. It was pleasing to the whole congregation what's doing on, what's taking place, what they said, we should do this. The people were pleased. They, they were encouraged that their leaders who were directed by God listened to them giving them God's direction and His will. They were encouraged. So choose these seven men. So notice they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. These two men, they kind of set the stage for the wider ministry. Stephen's going to, we're going to see him next week and the week after. And then Philip the Evangelist will see him later on. And you can kind of see Stephen and Philip, they represented the whole group. You see the rest of these guys, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Nothing else is said of these guys, except for Stephen and Philip. But obviously they were godly gifted men. And it seems too, since the problem involved Hellenists, notice they all had Greek names. So they were probably Hellenists. They were given that responsibility. Oh, and by the way, notice the end of verse 5, a proselyte from Antioch. So it kind of gives you a little window as to how important Antioch will be later on in the book of Acts. Because from Antioch, they were going to be sending out Paul and Barnabas and then Silas, they're going to be sending out missionaries to all of the Roman Empire. So this tells us, side note, the early church was multi-ethnic and multicultural. There's no such thing as a Hebrew church or a Hellenist church or a Gentile church. It was one church focused on the gospel. So here you see these leaders. They're showing how do you deal with conflict. And then they're exemplifying that by their very character. This is what good leadership does. They communicate. They prioritize and recognize. And, and then they're delegating out. And they're exemplifying godliness. And then the last characteristic you see here is biblical leaders support. They support the ministry of what's going on amongst the members in the congregation. They stood before the apostles, verse 6. These they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. They stood before the apostles, who commissioned them with praying, and laying their hands on them as a way to designate God's call upon them for this task. Now, this wasn't an official ordination ceremony. They didn't, like, you know, do any, like, type of ordination type uh, ritual. That wasn't, that's not what you see here. They were 
fulfill, fulfilling a specific administrative task. And, and again, they're not even called deacons later on at all in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, their ministry was more the ministry of the word. Not serving tables. But this was the way the apostles supported the congregation in their choice of these men to deal with this problem. So again, not necessarily were they the official deacons, the first official deacons in the early church. But yet this principle of choosing and designating laborers for this specific task, that would end up leading to what you see in deacons. So you see how these men were servants who were the, the most loyal ones in the church. They helped the leadership. They helped the people. They, they want to see the glory of God enhance. Interesting too, these men, or even the office of deacon for that matter, they weren't a separate power block in the church. It wasn't a group that disrupted the church. These seven guys, they weren't a unit that weren't loyal to the pastors or to the elders, to the apostles. They weren't a, 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 a group of men to try and get people on their side. It wasn't what they were doing. These guys were the shock absorbers. Uh, they take the big potholes in the church. The church has to drive through on their way to the destination. They were the shock absorbers. That's what they did. They were pertinent to the establishment and the unity and the grace in God's church. So these guys, the, the, the seven men that they chose, they're encouragers, they're peacemakers and servants. They're the cheerleaders. And yet what great characteristics of leaders. This is what makes leaders. So unity was checked. The church did not end up imploding and losing sight of its purpose of God's mission. And this helped to establish the ministry of the Word because it showed in a practical way how God's Word applies to problems like this. How, how does God's Word, or, or what does God's Word say about internal conflict, about relational problems? How do you deal with this? This gives you an historical account on how the early church dealt with an internal problem, dealt with a relational problem within the church. That's what this does. And then what kind of leaders do we need to have in God's church? One more verse. What are the results of good biblical leadership? What's the results of good biblical leadership? Verse 7. And the word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. This summarizes the growth of God's new community in Jerusalem. Due to solving the relational problem that they had earlier. What happens? Look. What is the results when you have good biblical leadership in place? When biblical leaders have biblical priorities and do biblical things, it will bring biblical growth in God's new church, in God's new community. Or biblical leaders 
who do biblical things bring biblical growth. And that is, the word will spread and disciples of Christ will increase becoming obedient to the faith. That's what will happen. And becoming obedient to the faith, by the way, it means the apostolic beliefs and lifestyle. So you see here, God's word is growing. Because biblical leaders, they do biblical things and that will bring biblical growth. That's what happens. The word will spread. Disciples will increase. So God's word was growing. The conflict was resolved, which will help foster the growth of the gospel as, was, as it was proclaimed. The influence of the word extended and more were becoming disciples of Jesus. Friends, this tells us something. If we want church growth, we must prioritize God's word. If we want church growth, we must prioritize God's word because notice, the word of God kept on spreading and then the next part, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. God was causing this numerical growth of disciples of the Lord Jesus. A fruitful harvest of the word by people becoming disciples. And notice it says, many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Even priests were coming to Christ. Well, that's a cause of alarm. Alarm for the Jewish leaders. Did it mean if, if some of the priests, were, were these some of these guys Sadducees? Remember last week and a couple weeks before that? The Sadducees, they hated the apostles. They were the ones that flogged them last week. We looked at the passage last week. Were some of these guys becoming Christians? Interesting, maybe. By the way, this is going to generate persecution. The increase of God's word and people coming to trust Jesus, that will bring persecution. Remember we looked at this last week? Mission brings persecution. Gospel proclaiming will bring popularity, acceptance, it will bring growth, yes, but it will also bring persecution and suffering. We're going to see that next week and the week after. Interesting note here, the end of verse 7, to become a follower of Jesus means one becomes obedient to the faith. What that means? That's what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. Are you here today and not a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Are you not a follower of Him? Are you a Christian in name only, but you, but you have not truly become obedient to the faith? Repent and put your trust in Jesus. Turn away from, turn away from sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A true Christian a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ has living, responsive, submissive faith. When one becomes a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Him, uh, that one's life is totally different. It reflects Jesus Himself. And that's what we see in these great leaders. Good, solid, biblical leaders. They're great examples to us in the body. And they're great examples on how to deal with conflict. How do you deal with it? Well, leaders, they communicate. They prioritize, they recognize, they exemplify, they delegate, and they support the men of God. These are marks of good leadership. Thank you, Lord, for giving us ways on how we can find good leaders and also how to deal with conflict. So take a few moments, if you would, and ponder what we've seen in God's Word 
here in Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses. Ponder, think through, pray. We'll have a few moments of silence, about a minute or so, give you a few moments of silence. And then we'll have our time of giving. We'll sing our our final two songs and our closing prayer. We'll take a few moments and think through what we've seen in God's Word.